How's it going, Soma? You guys doing good tonight? Yeah. Yes. Good. It is great to be here with you. I'm so excited to be up here. Um, for those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Brandon. I am on staff here uh, with the college team. I'm on staff with Waz and Stacy. Waz is somewhere. Um, and Stacy's right there. Anyway, uh, I have the privilege of being on staff with those amazing leaders. Um, I have the privilege of being on staff to you amazing people, and I love you all. So I'm excited to be up here. Um, if you can't tell, I'm super stoked. Uh, so anyway, uh, just to guys, uh, before we begin, I'm going to give you guys kind of a recap. Uh, we've been in a series called Religion Kills, and it's a series in Romans. So we've been looking at the book of Romans, and the last three weeks, Waz has been unpacking the first two chapters of Romans. And so um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be starting off chapter three, and I'm going to be setting up, um, I'm going to be setting up Pat next week because uh, he's going to be bringing a solid message too. So I want you guys to uh, just picture uh, the entirety of this series. This is all one big thing leading to the other. Um, in, the, in the last three weeks, uh, Waz has been kind of digging into what Paul's been saying to uh, the church in Rome. Uh, Paul has been talking to the religious, um, the religious people, the religious uh, people who are in the church, the people who think that they have it all together, the people um, who are doing all the right things, saying all the right things, staying away from all the wrong things. And, and Paul is just kind of rewriting um, their thought process and their mentality. Because a lot of what the religious are doing and what they were doing is they were doing all these things because they thought that this is what they needed to do in order to be right with God. And so what Paul is doing is picking that apart completely and he's saying, look, it's actually not about that. It's not about what you do. It's not about the things you say. It's not about... Um, refraining from certain things that's going to get you right with God. You're completely missing the mark. And he's kind of opening uh, this huge box and putting this magnifying glass on Rome, but also just in people in general. And so um, tonight, we're going to kind of be talking about that. This is where Paul, I think, really lays the hammer down on Rome and and really just kind of, just kind of, well, you'll see, but it kind of just makes you feel a little bad. Uh, when you read it. These verses I'm going to be reading uh, aren't the easiest words to swallow um, in some cases, but through the right lens, they're necessary. And and, uh, hopefully by the end of tonight, even though we're reading uh, such hard words to swallow, you guys can walk away uh, pretty encouraged by what these words actually mean. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go right into it. Um, So pray with me. Heavenly Father, Uh, God, I just thank you for um, who you are. I thank you for the love that you have for us. I thank you that tonight we can really dig deep into your word, that we can um, come to realize the truths that you have for us. Lord, no matter how hard some words may be to hear, no matter how hard some words uh, may be to swallow, Jesus, you are infinite. You love us so much. And uh, God, there's nothing that can take us away from that. So we love you. We thank you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So um, if you guys have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in the first 20 verses. So I'm going to give you guys a couple seconds to get there. Uh, when you get there, you can yell word. That's what Waz has been having us say. Wow, you guys are fast. Um, I was hoping I'd have some time to drink my water. Um, so most of you are in there. So um, this, is, this is a super long section. Uh, Thanks for prolonging that for me, giving me time to drink. Um, This is a super long section, so I'm going to kind of break it down into some bigger picture things, and we can kind of run through it, and then we'll we'll complete. I'll just tell you how this applies to our life. So um, in chapter 2, Paul just finishes telling uh, the Romans that, hey, all the good things that you're doing are worthless 
without Jesus. All the things that you're trying to do to gain right standing with God are no good. They're actually evil if you're trying to do them to get approval from God. He's trying to rewrite, again, their thought process. You see, um, they're coming... Paul is, is talking to the Jews. T- Paul is talking to the Gentiles, the people who think that they are righteous by the things they do, that, that, that if they practice the law, they have um, a right standing with God. If they don't sin, if they don't eat certain things, if they don't do certain things, if they um, honor the Sabbath, if they're circumcised, all these things make them right with God. And that's the thought process. And what Paul is saying is actually, that's not it anymore. It, 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 it's, it wasn't it. It's never been that way. Um, And I don't know why everyone's thinking that they're supposed to be this way, but this isn't it. And so what Paul is doing in in chapter two is kind of just debunking a lot of that, um, a lot of that thought process and and, and the the way they're thinking. Now, Paul is writing a letter. So um, there's not really any forum for um, anybody to kind of give, have any arguments with him uh, to kind of say, hey, but what about this or what about this? So Paul being a good evangelist, opens up chapter three in kind of a Q&A form and a Q&A fashion. And he's kind of anticipating what the, Roman, what the Romans would ask, what the religious people would ask um, if he was standing there physically with them. And so Paul kind of has in the first eight verses a uh, little Q&A session with himself. Um, and he comes up with these questions and then he answers these questions uh, in a letter form. And so um, I'm gonna read these in Q&A form. Uh, there's a commentary by Timothy Keller um, who paints uh, this section as a Q&A, and I think it's really good, and it's really um, applicable, and I think it, it, sound, it makes a little more sense the way he puts these words. Uh, so you guys can follow along still in the verses. It, it'll kind of make sense as I'm reading it. But in verse 1, Paul, ver- first thing Paul says is, um, Paul, are you saying that there is no advantage to biblical religion? That's essentially what he's asking himself. And he answers in verse 2 by saying, no, I'm not saying that. There's great value in having, um, in having and knowing the words of God. So in verse 3, he then says, But yes, those words have failed, haven't they? Because so many have be- haven't believed the gospel um, of righteousness revealed in God's son, Jesus. So what has happened to the promises? Jesus, or then Paul answers again himself. He says, Despite the people's failure to believe, God's promises to save are advancing. Our faithlessness only reveals how committed to his truth he is. Think of what he's done in order to be faithful to his promises. In verse 5, he asks, But if the unrighteous, unrighteousness is necessary for God's righteousness to be seen, how is it fair for him to judge us? Paul answers that in verse 6 and says, On that basis, God would not judge anyone in the world, and we, Paul and the religious, and the religious people, all agree that God should judge. So he closes out in verses 7 and 8 by asking, Well then, if me sinning makes God look better, that means that I should sin more, shouldn't I? So that his glory is more clearly seen. And then Paul finally answers, he says, I've been accused of thinking this, and I certainly don't think that. And saying you're sinning so that God will love you is an attitude that is absolutely worthy of judgment. So Paul is... Paul is kind of anticipating, again, what they're saying is, so what good is the law then? What good is doing all these good things? Uh, if, if, our, if our sin is supposed to expose God, shouldn't we still be doing that more then? And Paul is saying, no, that's not it. The law is still good, but it's not good for what you think it's good for. And so then he, he kind of just starts to set this up. And, and in this next section, I think, uh, probably one of the most more, more harder truths to swallow. He's going to kind of just solidify everything that he's been saying from chapter one and basically saying, look, you don't measure up. You're sinful. The good things you do are broken. 
They're not, they're not going to get you to God, so stop trying to do that. And this is what he's trying to do, is he's trying to kind of paint this picture so that way when he tells the gospel, it, sound, it looks and is so much better than what we actually think it is. So this is really where Paul drops the hammer and, and summarizes everything that he's been saying. So uh, if you look in verses 9 to 18, and I'm going to read that. Uh, if you guys um, get your Bibles, I think we have it on the screens too, do we? Yeah, it's on the screens. Um, So I'll read it from there. But uh, this section is a little brutal, okay? If you have read it, maybe some of you have kind of stayed away from it. They're like, this is rough. Uh, This this is kind of really, Paul is just taking that magnifying glass of humanity and just putting it a little bit closer and just saying, look it, this is really how messed up you are. Um, So I want to take a minute and tell you, In light of this verse, there's a lot of hope, okay? In light of this verse, there's a lot of good that's going to come out of it. Uh, What Paul is trying to do is Paul is trying to tell us there is a real issue and that Jesus is the answer. But in order for us to see that Jesus is the answer, we really have to realize the issue and the the severity of the situation. And so he's saying that um, if you think that your good deeds are in fact good and they measure up to God, well, tell me what you think about this. So he starts off in verse nine. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a great coffee cup verse. Uh, so a good, good way to start your morning by reading that one. Um, so... Again, this is a really, really rough verse to swallow. But you guys can take a deep breath because we made it through that hard part and now I'm gonna just bring some hope. But Paul really is dropping some bombs here. He's saying, look it, nobody is righteous. And in fact, that's your first point that we need to understand first is that no one is righteous. He says it a bunch of times. He's saying nobody, nobody does good. When Paul says this, he's referencing uh, from the Psalms and from Isaiah that it keeps saying that there's nobody righteous. He's opening our eyes to the depravity of this world. And what he's not saying is, oh, some people occasionally sin. Some people occasionally mess up. He's saying, no, this world is under sin. This world is under the dominion of sin. You were born into sin. You were born into unrighteousness. Therefore, you are not good by your own merit. That's what he's trying to get at. He's talking a little bit outside of Jesus. He's painting a picture of the gospel in Romans. And this is the part right before. This is the part in the fall that we're in the story of the fall that we're looking at. Where Adam and Eve have have sinned, they have hidden from God, and now there is a world of sin. And so he is in this part of the whole gospel story. And what he's trying to say is, look it, we're messed up. We can't do anything good. And, And what he's trying to do is he's putting everybody on the same playing field. Because what would tend to happen in that culture is, oh, I do this, I keep the law, I do all these things, you don't, therefore you're messed up. 
Oh, you're unclean because you eat pork. Oh, you're this because you don't follow the rules. Oh, you don't keep the Sabbath. And so everyone's kind of in this comparing game now, and everyone's trying to measure up to this standard of what they think God is requiring of them. But what Paul just did in these verses is he's saying, he's leveling the playing field. He's saying it doesn't matter anything that you're doing. You're all messed up. You're all on an equal level right now. Not, he's not saying that, oh, your sin is worse than your sin. He's not comparing sins because some people uh, do some crazier things than others. But what he's saying is our judgment is all the same. When it comes to God and our standing with God, we're all lost. And by our own merit, we're all lost. Again, he's talking outside of Jesus, but he's showing us a picture of where we've come from. And I think a good way to explain this is I have a video to show us. How many of you guys heard of the show Wipeout? Yeah, you know the show I've Okay, how many of you guys, I'm going to go a little farther back. How many of you guys heard of the show called MXC? Yeah, so uh, that's a little more intense than Wipeout, if you ask me. I think it's where Wipeout got its ideas. Um, it's pretty brutal in some cases. But um, I'll show this clip, and then I'll just explain what I mean by putting everybody on a level playing field. So why don't you play the clip? So some of you watch that and are like, what the heck does this have to do with being unrighteous and being on a level playing field? Well, let me explain this. Okay, when you go into a competition like this, you want to get ready. You want to train. Uh, you want to you run a couple miles uh, a, a day. You want to eat right. You want to make sure you get a lot of rest. Well, in this specific obstacle, none of that matters. Your athleticism is not going to get them through, that door, through those walls. The eating right is not going to get them through those walls. So essentially, they're on a level playing field. And so what Paul is trying to explain to us too is no matter how much you follow the law, no matter how much you practice, no matter how much you abstain from sin, you're still on a level playing field at the end of the day because that's not what saves you. And for them to get their, to get their eyes on that prize, for them it's a little luck. With God it's not about luck, it's just about understanding and knowing uh, the right thing. And that is his, tr- his truth and, and what really saves us. But in that, in that specific instance, there's no way they can, they, they, they know if they're, they're going to make it or not. It doesn't matter their athleticism again. It doesn't matter the things they eat. It doesn't matter how much they pre- prepare. They were all on the same playing field. So that guy, the first guy probably could have slept all month, not done anything, ate wrong, and he still probably could have made it. Um, and so what this, what Paul is trying to say in that same sense is that we're all on a level playing field. We're all um, exposed to sin. We're all prone to sin in this fallen world without Jesus. We are in sin. And in this fallen world without Jesus, we deserve death. We deserve the penalty. So then Paul kind of rubs that in and says, no one's righteous, but listen, this is what you guys do. You don't measure up. You don't understand anything. You run and hide in your religion and your morality. You move towards those things rather than the sufficient grace of God. All of us have turned away. We choose our own ways instead of God's ways. We're deceitful, we're poisonous, we're bitter, and we're cursing in our relationships. We're out to kill, we're out for blood. Our relationships are broken. When we get angry, it's because we're, 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 we're being exposed. People are jeopardizing our comfortability. People are jeopardizing an idol. People are jeopardizing a value that we hold so dearly. And so what Paul is trying to say is, look, you all are messed up. And the reason why he's saying this is because people are, again, people are thinking that they have what it takes to measure up to what God has set the standard for. So he's saying, look, you think you're good. You think you have these things. You think you have what it takes, but you don't. Nobody does. You're not righteous. And then, he, and then um, 
He, he, he kind of just explains where it all comes from. He explains why we're not righteous. He explains the reason why we're deceitful, the reason why we don't understand. And it's because that there's no fear of God. That's what he says. We, we do these things because we don't fear God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? I would, I, some of you may think, oh, do I have to be like cowering when I see God, like be afraid, freaked out? Um, I wouldn't put it that way. Actually, in Psalm uh, 130, verses 3 and 4, I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there. But it says, um, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. And what the psalmist is saying is next to you, I can't measure up. Next to you, you are so much bigger. You are so much greater. There is no way I'm on a level playing field with you. In any moment, you could smite me, you could strike me down, you could have your way, and I would be done for. But then he says, but you allow me near, you allow me to be with you, you forgive me, you bring me in, and therefore I'm in awe. And so what he's talking about, this fear is more of an awe-inspiring, joyful uh, excitement and wonder of the greatness of God. That's what he's talking about. That's the fear. And so what he's saying is, we don't have that, and therefore we don't respond because we don't know truly about God. And that's what he's saying. To put it better, um, I have another video for you guys. Um, And I think this, for me, I'll show it to you. We'll see what kind of feelings you get when you watch it. But then I'll explain the feelings I get when I saw it. Um, and, and this maybe will paint a bigger, a better picture of what it looks like to fear God. So you can play that next video. So how many of you guys got chills watching that? Was, for me, like putting myself in that position, I, that's what I think the fear of the Lord is. It's this idea of like, these, these girls were nowhere on the same level of these whales. At any moment, one swipe, they're done, just done. They're just obliterated. They're gone. They might explode from the impact. Who knows? Either way, we know that if you match up a 135-pound girl next to like a million-ton whale, you know who's going to win that fight. So what I'm saying, what, what I think is happening, though, at the same time is that even though as powerful and great as this whale is, this whale is allowing these people to swim near it, allowing these people to interact with it. And I think that's what um, the, the psalmist and what Paul is trying to say is, this is how we should be with God. It's not this cowering fear, but it's this awe and wonder, knowing that this guy, this, this God in all his greatness, there is no reason for us to be near him. By all rights, he has every right to judge every one of us at any moment, yet he forgives and he accepts, and he draws us in. And this is the fear that I think Paul is talking about, is that we don't have this understanding. Therefore, instead, we turn to our sin because we don't understand truly the magnificence of God. Now, these words may be hard to swallow, but they accurately explain the despair that we're in. This is a hard thing to swallow. But it's a good thing for us to see because these truths make it hard for us to hide from. They're hard to hide from these these accuracies that we don't measure up, that we're not good enough. But the reason why Paul is doing this is because he is setting up 
the punchline. He's setting up the big reason why God is so good in light of what we've done. You see, when we see the problem and we see how big the problem is, the solution is so much bigger. I remember when I was at Park College, I uh, had a class I didn't like. It was an easy class, but I still didn't like it. Um, I remember that uh, I, I had, we had a test. I was like, oh, I got a test in two weeks. I'm going to be a good student. It's like one of the few times I was a good student and studying early. I was like, I'm going to study early and, and I'm going to get ready for this test. I'm going to be so ready. And so I remember I get to class and, um, you know, the test is still a week out, but I'm feeling good about studying. I get to class and the teacher's like, all right, guys, it's test time. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought that was next week. And so I'm sitting here in class, half an hour into class. I don't have a Scantron. I don't have a pencil. And we're going to take this test. And I'm not ready for the test because I don't have anything. So now in my brain, I'm like, I'm going to fail this class because I'm going to fail this test because I can't take it. What am I going to do? And my, everything is just unraveling. And these problems are unraveling. And the problem seems so big in that moment. And I'm just like, what the heck am I going to do? And then in my disparity, my neighbor next to me sees I have nothing. And I'm sitting there with nothing. And I, I was afraid to like, I was like a freshman, so I was afraid to get up and like go actually to the store and buy some. So I'm just sitting there like, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm screwed, you know? And uh, my neighbor is like, hey, here, you can have this Scantron and this pencil. And in that moment, I'm like, you are a lifesaver. That Scantron was the biggest deal in that moment for me in my life. The best thing that had ever happened to me in my life up until that point was in that moment right there to me. Because the problem seemed so much worse. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to get us to see is that, look, this problem is bad. You need to understand the depravity. You need to understand the disparity that you are in right now. You need to understand what the world is in and why it needs Jesus. You see, Paul is trying to get us to open our eyes and really see the problem at hand and what's at stake. And he's trying to get us to see that our deeds and our religious acts and our practices and the things we refrain from and the sins we commit or don't commit don't get us right or wrong with God. Because we can't measure up in any way possible. So how do we think we have what it takes to measure up with God with those things? So he's trying to get us to see the problem and the actual need for a savior. So then Paul kind of unpacks in the last two verses how we see that problem. What can we use? And he almost answers the first question that he asked in the last two verses. Um, So I'm going to read that right now. Um, So he says in verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it's to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So now Paul's making a case again. The law isn't good for saving us. The law is actually good for showing us that we don't measure up. You see, it's not given to us so we can say, oh, I do all these things, so I'm good. I do all these things, so Jesus will love me. I do all these things, so I can be right with God. Instead, that was put in place to say, this is the standard I'm setting, and this is me showing you that you can't measure up. It's not a check mark. We just check off. It's not this checklist. We just go, okay, doing that, doing that, doing that. It's actually a benchmark that we fail. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
So when we look at the law, our only response can be, I'm a sinner. I have nothing to say to you, God, in response to what I have to offer in order for my salvation. You see, this is important. Again, it's hard to swallow. Every time I read this, I'm just like, man, this is rough. I don't know what to, I don't know what to think. I don't know how to respond. So how do we respond to these truths? First of all, the good news is we're on the other side of that problem. So we, we can put hope in that. We can put our faith in that. But we no, normally don't tend to run to the solution. We tend to still make our own solutions up. So what do we do in the face of these truths? What do we do when we mess up? What do we do when we sin? What do we do when we think about our relationship with God? And oftentimes we go to two ends of the spectrum. The first end is, oh, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to life group. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to memorize my verses. I'm going to read 20 books. I'm going to feed the homeless. I'm going to walk my grandma across the street. I'm going to do all these good things so that God can accept me. Or we go to the other side and say, I am nothing. I am worthless. God cannot do anything. There's got to be something I can do to get me right with God because me and God are awkward now. It's been like a week since I talked to him because I sinned last week and I don't know what to do. Do I, do I talk to him? Do I approach him? What do I, is he mad at me? So we, we tend to go to these two ends of the spectrum and we think that what we do or we don't do is our measure to where God is at with us. And this is the whole point that Paul has been unpacking in the first three chapters. And he's saying, look, it's not about you. It's not about what you can or can't do. You have nothing to offer. There's absolutely nothing God needs from you, but you need everything from him. And this is why in verse 19, it says, it silences us because then we say, what can I give to you? But oftentimes, internally, we get loud. Oftentimes, internally, we go, what, are, what can I do to help have God help me? What can I do to make God like me again? What can I do to be right with God? What can I do so that God accepts me for who I am? We tend to wallow and have self-pity, or we tend to try to fix it ourselves. And even in that, it shows how sinful we are because it's coming from inside us that we actually think we have what it takes to be right with God. But the law tells us different. So now we're really in it deep. Now it's like, well, if I can't fix it either, what do I do? I'm hopeless. And it's true in a sense. But like I said before, For those in Jesus, we're on the other side of that. There's actually a lot more truth and there's a lot more hope in these verses when we read between the lines and we understand who God is. You see, when we find something hard, when we're faced with a challenge, our natural bend is to find a solution. Our natural bend is to try to move past this because it's uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. What am I going to do? How can I fix this? And so when we're faced with a problem, we often find a solution. And that's the good news. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to do. He's saying, look, here's a problem. Now I'm about to tell you what the solution is. And it's Jesus. You see, the law shows us, and this is our last point, the law shows us we need Jesus. 
Everything Paul is saying is trying to show us the need of a savior. Paul is saying, there is nothing you guys can do. You need something more. There's gotta be more. There's something more. And I'm trying to get you to see this, that it's Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. He brings it up so we can see what we've been saved from. He brings it up so we can see the need for a savior. And the good news about about Jesus and about the condition we're in is that none of that matters because of him. It's all wiped clean. It's all erased. Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Pat next week is going to unpack more what the gospel actually is. But I want to explain to you how we can live in light of that now. I want to explain to you how we can live in the hope of Jesus, knowing that we can't measure up, knowing that we are messed up, knowing that we do sin, that we're prone to sin, that we're under sin, that this world is full of sin. And it's great news for us. Because in Jesus, like I said, all things are wiped away. We don't have to live up to a standard anymore. We don't have to try. There's not some mark that we have to hit because Jesus hit it for us and gave his righteousness to us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why the gospel is so much better. That's why Jesus looks so much bigger because we actually see the need for Jesus. And that's what Paul has been trying to show us in these last three chapters is he's trying to say, look, everything you're doing, stop. You're wasting your time. You're missing out on the big picture. You're missing out that you can't, you can't measure up. So stop trying to measure up. Stop living in, in, in a religious world. Stop living in religion. Stop thinking that the things that you can or can't do will save you because they can't. Jesus can. And so he's opening this door. You see, not sinning and doing good things for God is different than not sinning and doing good things to get to God. Again, these are all good things. And it's the best news for us because it takes the pressure of us having to perform. Your sin doesn't matter. Because Jesus died for it. Your good deeds don't matter if you're trying to use those to get good with him. Because you already are. You are as good with God as you could ever be. There's nothing that takes that away. There's no meter that's like, oh, I love you a little less today because you looked at something you shouldn't have. He doesn't do that. He loves you. But when we try to take on the role of saving ourselves we miss out on the beauty of our salvation. We miss out on the beauty of what he has to offer us. And I have a little visual experiment I'd like to show you. So I'm going to call a Matt up and give me a Christian. I'm going to have Andy bring me my props. Give it up for Andy in the back, hustling hard. Love that guy. All right, uh, Matt, you stand over here. Okay. Christian, I want you to stand like right. No, you can stand over here. That's fine. You stand right here. So, uh, Matt, you're going to be the the good Christian. Christian, you're going to be God for a minute, okay? Now, don't get big-headed because remember what I've been talking about. Okay, so guys, this is Matt. 
Matt's a good Christian. Matt loves to read his Bible. Matt, these are all just representations. Matt loves to go to church. Matt loves to pray. Matt's a prayer. He prays. Um, Matt loves to go to life group. He loves life group. Um, Matt loves to uh, not sin. Not sinning is the best. Uh, and he, he's pretty good at it. Um, Matt, uh, you know, Matt, Matt just does everything by the book, okay? He, he, he obeys the law. He does all these good things. He tries to stay away from sin. And Matt is just, Matt is just like an all-star. On paper, you look at Matt, you're like, that's, that's what I want to be when I grow up, right? <laughs> but the problem is, is that the reason why Matt is doing all of these things is because he thinks that this is going to get him right with God. So here you have Matt trying to walk around. Don't drop anything, Matt. This is important. You got to make sure. Yeah, you just got to, you got to make sure you manage that. Don't mess it up. You're good. You're doing great. While God is standing over here, arms open, Matt is here trying to manage his sin. Matt is here trying to manage the good things that he's doing. While God has been here the whole time saying, you don't need to do that. I'm right here. But you see, when we get caught up in our religion, we don't see God. When we get caught up in the things that we're doing or the things that we're not doing, we lose sight that God has been standing here this whole time with his arms open saying, just come to me. I'm all you need. You don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. You just need me. So come to me. And that's, thank you guys. Give it up for them. You guys can help me take the props off. Those might be distracting for worship. No, just take them off stage. Just move them out of the way. But that is exactly what happens when we think that we can control our own salvation. That's exactly what happens when we think we can make it right with God. You see, when we try to take things into our hands, we miss out. We burn out when we try to take salvation into our own hands. We get tired. It becomes so straining and strenuous. Man, I can't keep up reading my Bible. I can't keep up with my sin. I can't control what I do. I can't keep up with my prayers. I should do more. I should do more. God is mad with me. But this whole time, God's just saying, I'm here. I'm not mad with you. I've made you righteous. You don't make yourself righteous. I'm here. I'm here. And this is why we have the law. This is why Paul is saying you need to understand there's nothing you have to offer that's going to make you right with God. There's nothing you can or can't do that's going to take away the love of God from you. There's a great quote that I forgot the author of and I didn't write it down. But I'm going to read it anyway. And it says, The way to God is wide open. There is nothing standing between the sinner and his God. He has immediate and unimpeded access to the Savior. There is nothing to hinder. There is no sin that can hold you back because God offers justification to the ungodly. Nothing now stands between the sinner and God, but the sinner's good works. Nothing can keep him from Christ, but this, his delusion that he has good works of his own that can satisfy God. All they need is need. All they must have is nothing. But alas, sinners can't part with their virtues. They have none that are imaginary, but they are real to them. So grace becomes unreal. 
the real grace of God they spurn in order to hold on to the illusionary virtues of their own. Their eyes fixed on a mirage. They will not drink real water. They die of thirst with water all about them. You see, when we try to live up to a standard, we lose sight that the standard has already been lived up to. When we see the, the despair we're in, when we see the, the, the actual need, then Jesus becomes bigger. When we forget where we've come from, we lose sight of how great Jesus is and how big he is and we lose sight and we lose the fear. We lose the awe, we lose the wonder of the one who saved us. So I'm gonna call the band up. But I want you to keep this in mind for next weekend because Pat is gonna come in and Pat is gonna unpack the gospel. And it's gonna be so beautiful and it's gonna be so much more beautiful when you realize what we actually need from him. It's gonna be so much more amazing when we see that none of us can have any power to control our salvation. None of us have any power to control our own righteousness. So how do we live in light of this truth? Well, the best things we can do is release ourselves from the pressure, pressure of measuring up. Just let it go. Drop everything you're trying to offer God and just let him love you. Repent in thinking that you have the power to save yourself and receive his life and grace and mercy and power. Live in the fullness of his love instead of trying to measure up. Because our God's not a God that says, hey, you have to. He's saying, hey, I already did it for you. So now that you can, now you can actually come to me because he loves you. Some practical things as you go out this week, share with your life group these areas that you're having such a hard time letting go of control of. Maybe it's your sin management. Maybe it's uh, feeling like you have to spend time with God in order to be right with him. There's nothing more burning you, that, that will easily burn you out more than spending time with God is feeling like you have to to get good with him. See, the truth about God's love and understanding that he just loves you as you are, that you can come as you are, that you don't need to measure up is what allows you to go to him. He's faithful and he is good and he loves you so much more than you think and that there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do that will ever take it away. No matter how much you don't measure up, no matter how many good things you do, will not change the level of his love and the level of your righteousness that he's given you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, sit before uh, these tough truths, some are harder to look at knowing that we can't measure up. Some of us in here have set a standard for ourselves, that we have to be a certain way, that we have to live a certain way, that we have to do certain things or not do certain things. God, I just pray for release. God, I pray for those who are having such a hard time releasing that, that, that God views them and, and he's mad and he doesn't accept them. God, I just pray they'd let that go. Lord, instead, as their eyes are closed, would they envision you with your arms open and saying, I accept you. 
I don't need anything from you. I just want you. God, I pray that in spite of the hard truth, that the the real truth of your goodness and your faithfulness is relieving. And Lord, I pray that that when we come in next week and, and hear your gospel message, hear the gospel story, that it would be so much more beautiful, that it would be so much more amazing, that we couldn't help ourselves but to praise you and worship you because Jesus is all about you. It's not about us. And so would you allow us to take our eyes off ourselves and keep our eyes fixed on you and what you've done for us and not what we think we can do for ourselves. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in your sweet and beautiful and holy, amazing name. And everyone said, amen.